Good evening and welcome to The Obelisk. Tonight's guest is Emily Moyer. I have not prepared a bio for her because I'm a complete loser. So <laughs> you guys are just going to have to deal with it. You should know who Emily is. If you don't, you probably wouldn't be here anyway. She's a former half of Off Planet Media with Randy Muggins, and she's now done doing her own stuff. A lot with Michael Wan. I saw that. I, we want to talk about that. But uh, that's about it. How's everybody doing tonight on the call? Good. Hello, hello. Hi, Emily. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Nish. Jerry, I propose an experiment. Propose away. All right. So one of my favorite techniques for dealing with whatever the fuck this is that we're in is I make things up and they come true anyway. So I'm proposing <laughs> that you make up a biography for me and we'll see if it can materialize over the next, say, six, eight, 10 months, year, whatever. Make up something about me and see if it'll see if it comes true. Emily Moyer is a recent winner of the California State Lottery. <laughs> <laughs> and it, which is re remarkable because she's not a resident. <laughs> where, oh, where do you live? I just, I, I, I moved to Texas recently. Oh, shit. She just won the Texas lottery, too. <laughs> now, you'd have to go and rewrite the part where I'm a voluntarist that doesn't believe in government. Because that, with those beliefs intact, I cannot play the lottery. Right? I am a strict adherent to the religion of voluntarism. I don't actually think people really win those things. I think you're right. <laughs> I think they're all actors, but, but that's just me. <laughs> But I, I think everything's fake, so what, you know, what the fuck. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I will think up more good things for your life. All right. And uh, I'll drop them along the way. Oh, I just remembered Emily, you know, I don't know, won a new car. She won a new car. I, I, did, I, I didn't win a new car, but my dad did give me his car recently, which makes life a lot easier because his was a lot newer than mine. And his doesn't use very much gas. Right, so uh, it made life a couple hundred dollars cheaper a month. You know, you bring uh, you you bring it. You tell me to do this shit for you. I do it, and then you <laughs> blow them all up. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm waiting for you to make up something like really weird and interesting and good that would seem impossible for it to come true, and then we can see if it happens. Right? You know? Yeah, I know, but my mind just goes to dark places when I have to think of weird stuff. So I don't want to do that. I, on I the spot, on the spot's never easy. <laughs> right. That's a, I'll, I will drop some I'll put some truth droppings in as we go along Alright that sounds good Magical truth droppings yeah. Anyway so you just moved to Texas I did I did um, I used to live in Texas I lived in I moved to Austin for the first time In 1999 mm -hmm. And I lived here from 1999 to, to 2001 and then I briefly went back to LA and then was back here for another two years. And then I left in 2003 and I came back for a summer, I think in 2006, and then uh, moved back here for a short time in 2008 or nine and it was like a total disaster. Um, so I've been gone other than a few quick visits since then from here. Um, but just returned and it's been really cool. Like, you know, uh, Austin is kind of my home in a very different way than Los Angeles is. Um, like 
Austin was the first place I ever moved where people really seemed to like me, <laughs> right? Like they, all the shit that people didn't like about me or thought I was weird for in Los Angeles, like those were the things people in Austin really liked. And um, when I moved here in 1999, I think I made more friends the first month I lived here than my whole life in Los Angeles. And some of those people are still friends today. And um, when I'm around here, sometimes I like will run into someone who I met like when I very first moved to Austin, but never have seen again since. And like they'll still remember me or, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, Austin, like it resonated in, in a really amazing way for me, um, which I enjoyed and had a lot of fun with back then. But ultimately, I hadn't dealt, I, I didn't know myself. And I hadn't sort of faced down some of my demons and come to terms with some of the, the truths about myself. And ultimately, <laughs> it, was, uh, it proved to be uh, uncomfortable for me to a certain extent. And then I made a mess of it. Um, and, you know, Austin was um, one of the many cities I lived in on my trek to run away from my problems as fast as I could. Um, and ultimately, when I left here in 2008 or nine, I can't remember which it was, and went home to Los Angeles, I just made the decision that I had to stay in Los Angeles until I sorted my shit out. Yeah. And um, I spent, I had a lot, many more years of turmoil in Los Angeles, but I didn't go anywhere. So I was in Los Angeles from 2009 to 2021 straight. Um, and it took me about half that time. Like I think in 2015 is when I really started getting my shit together, uh, 2014, you know, 2015. But, um, you know, it, there was little steps along the way before then. Um, but I feel like I've pretty much come to terms with like, you know, I'm from Los Angeles and sometimes you have to solve the problem where the problem began. Right. And yes. I think I've done that. And now coming back here, there were some mysteries in my life that really opened up here that I think I am uh, mature enough and honest enough with myself now. And um, just in a, the kind of space that I, I think I can actually maybe um, figure out some figure some of that stuff out um you know so i don't know if it's solve the mystery or enjoy the mystery or come to terms with whatever it is it might be um i think i'm ready to do that now and so it's very cool to be back here isn't uh austin full of woke tards now so like okay yeah it's oh i mean austin is definitely the most liberal city in texas but i was very very surprised on the way here how many small cities that you would think would be like, you know, ranging from red from from red to redneck, right, or right, right, like right, 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 that were like super, you know, not they were super like you know, branch Covidian and all that kind of stuff, right? Which surprised me. So Austin has always been a very liberal city. One of the things I always liked about Austin was sort of the connection between people who were very liberal and people who are more libertarian. When I first moved here in 1999, that was really much more far to the left, right? I mean, I, I'm apolitical at this point, um, but, and I never had a swing really to the right, but I did explore libertarianism and things like that on my way to anarchism kind of thing. But I always liked here how like the far left and the kind of when I say far right, I don't mean like the alt-right part of the far right, the far right part that goes libertarian and then ANCAP or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, just conservative. Like they seem to have like a, um, 
an ability to get along. I think a lot of it was based on like health freedom. Like there was a lot of like, you know, you'd find people who were like progressive and people who are libertarian, like meeting, like going to the same farm to buy their raw milk, right? So they might have a conversation and they would respect each other as people, right? So right. I always appreciated that about Austin. That is like mostly gone on like the surface social level. It is now very, very left in terms of like the way it presents, but it's not quite as like um, regimented or like, uh, not as crazy as it is in Los Angeles. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. True, true, true. It's probably 50-50. It, well, it's more like, you know, like people might virtue signal that here, but they're not really, they don't really care. Right. There's a few places that are like, there's a few areas of town and a few places and that you're just like, yeah, this, this is too much for me. But most places like it, 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 it's a little bit more relaxed. So it's not as bad as it's presented. Like Austin isn't quite as cuckoo on the ground as it presents in the media. But yeah, Austin is cuckoo. I mean, they fought, they, they, you know, Abbott rescinded the mask mandate and Austin fought to bring it back. And it's just like, huh? Right, right, right. They, they, <laughs> they, they'll all self-identify. You could tell because they're wearing masks outside. So you know who is who. Correct. It's very clear here. It's right. Whereas in California, it was a little harder to tell because they had made people so paranoid about if you didn't, people would judge you, whatever, right? Right, here, right. It's not the law. So it's, it's very obvious here. Um, but the other thing, but when, one of the things that's interesting about me being here is most of my friends here are not like us. They are not um, interested in conspiratorial information or alternative information. You know, they're people I knew from like the dance music world, which you'd think should be interested in those things, but they're actually like the biggest propagandists these days for the control system, which is oh, odd, the dance music community in general. But what I have noticed about my friends here, and I don't know if it's particular to their relationship with me, because I've always been an odd duck, or just, I, I don't know, they, they, they recognize that I have a completely different view about um, current reality than they do, and that I'm choosing to manage it a different way, and they seem to be fine with it. They don't seem to want to argue with me about it. They are maybe they they might find my choices amusing or interesting, but they're not offended by them, and they don't treat me um they're, they're not like they won't come around me or they won't see me or anything like that they all seem happy to see me they've treated me the way that they always have um i don't understand some of the choices they're making about their life they probably don't understand mine but we agree to disagree and it's fine and that was a little harder in los angeles in los angeles the people who saw things differently than me were afraid of me at this point right? <laughs> as <laughs> well they should be well that's for, that's for a different reason jerry right but you know uh yeah so um, it, it's generally been like good a good reception back here and i'm enjoying being here and it's definitely much more relaxed and alive than los angeles has been for the last you know eight sixteen yeah. months yeah yeah texas has happened that's yeah. that's kind of why i moved into florida it's like <laughs> more active yeah, where I live, I live up near the mountains here in Georgia, and there's like nothing going on. You know, you go out to eat, and your choices are like Applebee's or O'Charlie's. Yeah, nope. Florida's kind of interesting because, you know, like the reactionary part of people like us who've been having to sit through, a rea like, you know, suffer through other people's realities that we don't conform to for the last, you know, year and a half. Yeah. And there's like the part of you that wants to go, yeah, right. But if you really sort of dig down into what 
some of these executive orders and bills say and whatnot, like it, it bumps up against some of the same problems in a different way. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it, you know, like we're either for free, completely for free speech or we're not. We're either for uh, businesses having the right to choose for themselves or not. And so, like, it, 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 if you swing too far, this is a really complicated situation, right? And there's a lot to be excited about in terms of the fact that, like, there appears to be somebody in Florida who's standing up for something that seems sane. But on the other hand, it's like, okay, we have to be like really consistent in the application of our principles if we want to be, you know, if, if we're, I'm, I'm, I refuse to do to other people what I don't want them to do to me, right? So, um, you know, so I pay attention to what, you know, what's going on over there, like some of the stuff, some of his vaccine passport stuff seems to be a lot more legit and cleaner than some of the other states that are claiming that they've banned it when all they've really done is like ban it in government buildings. Right, right. Right. So his stuff seems a little bit better, but then some of the other stuff he's been doing lately, it's like, ooh, I don't know about that. I don't know that I could get, be I mean, I don't get behind anybody, but you know, sometimes like energetically, you feel like, okay, that kind of like that more than something else. And sometimes it comes like, I don't know, like all these characters are suspicious to me. I don't trust any of them. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I hate politicians. That's why I'm apolitical like you are. Yeah. They're all scumbags and psychopaths as far as I'm yep. concerned. Are they somehow, you know, maybe they didn't start that way, but it does seem like oh, there's some sort of yeah. transformation that goes mm -hmm. on. The, the Capitol buildings are built on grid lines that have been poisoned <laughs> energetically, and it's just yeah. poison. The demons get right attached to them. Yes, they get they go right yeah. in. They're open vessels. <laughs> yep, pretty much. You got it. <laughs> Churches too. <laughs> anyway, so the other thing that's cool about being back here in Austin, though, is like I didn't have the level of um, esoteric knowledge when I lived here before that I do now. Um, and so, uh, you know, and I gained that during the last 12, 13, 14 years in Los Angeles, which completely, you know, changed the way I viewed the city and myself and my relationship to it. And so it's really interesting to come back here and like really reassess what the actual fuck is going on here because it's kind of a lot. <laughs> and they got the bats too, right? Got the bats. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. And like, I've been aware, obviously like the buildup has been going on for a long time. Like the first time I moved to, the first time I visited Austin was in 1995. And how I ever like came to Austin in the first place was that a family that I had gone that went to the same gym as me in Los Angeles, like gymnastics, I used to babysit their kids. The father got a job here. And so they moved here and I came to visit them. And the first time was in 1995. Um, and I remember and I, like hearing, like sitting in their car and we were hearing on the radio about how Austin was just going to grow massively and that they weren't the freeway systems and the city was never designed to hold as many people as that were going to be coming. Right. So like you could, you knew it all the way back then. I moved here in 1999, like in 1999, you could still go downtown with 20 bucks, go to the club, have a few drinks, get a slice of pizza on the way back to the car, maybe even buy a few bucks worth of gas on the way home. Now you can go downtown and park for 20 bucks, just like Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> But what really started to stack up, like what seemingly started to stack up maybe in the last 10 or 12 years was a lot more of this sort of, um, you know, globalists, symbols, 
corporations, uh, entities that we're not quite clear on exactly what they are, right? And um, I, I being, and I've known that, that that's been happening here. Obviously, like there's a lot of Hollywood here now. A lot of people have relocated from Los Angeles and the Bay Area. But what's been most surprising to me about being here is yes, all that new stuff is there and it's all that, all the ways we always think of it as being. But I'm starting to understand that a lot of the stuff that is super weird and occulted and esoteric about Austin was always here. Yeah. Right? The stuff that I'm fine, like, like getting the most juice off of right now in terms of like trying to understand, figure out, see exactly what's going on were things that I saw on that very first trip here in 1995. But I just thought that I, you know, like things that I thought were always normal that back then they're not, they're either, it's not that they're not normal, but they have different meanings and different things associated with them than one would have ever expected if you didn't walk on the dark side or on the wild side or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting to me how many, uh, my new level of understanding and appreciation for some of the things that have always been here, and this goes omnidirectionally, I'm not saying they're good or bad, right? And then the way all of this newer stuff um, is sort of uh, clustered around some of these things, interacting with some of these things, um, and, and, you know, maybe even using the ancient technology of these things, right? So um, it's really cool. It's kind of interesting, right? Like, Every day is like uh, go out. It's like I, I could. I'd be happy just to spend every day walking around town here and finding weird shit and telling, making up different versions of like what I think this means or that means or what this really going on with this building and or that building or this piece of graffiti or this fucking sticker that I see everywhere around the river and you know <laughs> um, like I I like to like I have all these you know parallel running narratives in my head of like what might be going on, what I'm pretty sure is going on, what I'm damn sure is going on, what they say is going on, how do those things intersect, where can I fuck with them, should I fuck with them, what am I doing, <laughs> right, so, <laughs> you know, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, so. So when it came to, down to, when you, when you all decided to move, was it just like, let's move to Austin or did you have some places you thought would be interesting to move? Were you just wanting to move? What was the impetus here? All right. So um, we had been talking about, like it, it had always been on the table, right? Laura moved to Los Angeles about two years ago and she had always wanted to live in California. So she wanted to have that experience and she kind of got it. Um, but you know, we, we, oh, we, the intention was always that we would have a business, a practice together. She's a very skilled physical therapist, cranial sacral therapist. She does all kinds of exotic healing modalities and stuff. And of course I do a lot of things with esoteric nutrition and intuitive life coaching, and we wanted to work together. The laws in California are incredibly complicated and having a business is very expensive. And that wasn't really something that we thought through beforehand. So it had always been on the table that like, maybe we should go somewhere with a lower taxes, but be with like less stringent laws. She's a doctor and there are limits on who she's allowed to be in practice with. And like, there are some laws in California about some professions, some medical professions that you can't have like a, license person who's a licensed medical professional like in practice or owning a practice together with someone who is a just certified professional or or their or their profession doesn't even require a certification yeah. right so 
it, it was complex. So it had always been on the table as a possibility. And then, you know, and, and so then it was like, okay, well, the states, we go to a state with like no state tax and with, you know, laws, particular kinds of laws. Then the lockdown happened, right? And so that sort of accelerated our thinking about it. And at first, we, like when it first happened, I mean, we got locked down before any of the rest of y'all did, right? So by that was last March. And by May, we were like, maybe we should start considering someone else because we couldn't believe how long it had lasted. Little did we fucking know, right? <laughs> um, so we started to consider Arizona because it was close to California where my family is and a lot of her family lived there. So we considered that. And, you know, we looked at Phoenix and Tucson and, and whatnot. And uh, I had lived in Tucson before, um, back in the 90s and had the same level of strange experiences then there that I had here and also couldn't understand, you know, the similar kind of experience. I, I only stayed there for a year. I didn't love it the same way I loved Austin, but some of it was the same kind of issues, right? Like there was shit going on in my life that I hadn't figured out yet. And, and it was causing problems that I couldn't understand. And so if you don't understand where something's coming from, it makes everything complicated and you don't know what to do about it. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we considered Phoenix and Tucson, um, for a variety of reasons, weather, taxes, laws, uh, proximity to other places, and ultimately decided no on that. And so then we started to consider a few other places and uh, considered like Reno, um, we considered um, uh, maybe somewhere in the Midwest, because at first those seemed like those were going to be the places that were going to respect freedom the most. Right. So we considered like Nebraska or Iowa or something. And it's just too cold. It's too cold. And it, yeah, it was just no. So we, you know, Austin had always been on, not like Austin, like had always sort of been on the list, but we had been here a couple of years ago back in 2019 for Robert's conference when I spoke there. And we came to Austin after, and while we had fun here, we were like, and neither of us were feeling living there, but we started to consider at the beginning, at, you know, during the time of the lockdown, other areas in, um, in central tech, like in hill country. Right, some of the smaller areas because we thought, oh, maybe we want to avoid like the SJW stuff too, right? So maybe we'll like pick a smaller city in Texas that is proximate to Austin or proximate to somewhere else. So we considered a bunch of them. And when I went back to Robert's conference this past year, we went and looked at all those places. And while we liked them and they were charming, we weren't quite sold on any one one of them, but we came to Austin afterwards. And for some reason this time we we fell in love with Austin, both of us. Laura had lived here before as well, but we didn't know each other then. She'd lived here, like there had been some crossover in the time that we had lived here before, but we did not know each other. We were in completely different realities, completely different mind control cults then, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it, well, it's funny that I've been able to find connections between the two mind control cults, which theoretically were so far apart, there should not have been a connection, but there was a few of the, the usual suspects always present, right? Oh, but yeah. there, there are so many. There are so many, right? So, um, so it, it was really funny because both of us were afraid to tell the other one that we like kind of thought maybe Austin again, because we thought the other would reject it. But we finally had that conversation. And that was like last October, we decided to come back again in January, just to make sure we weren't having like fun on vacation. And that wasn't how we really felt. We came back, we loved it. We looked for a place, everything started to fall into line. And we just, we decided to go for it. We decided, you know, like it, it was definitely, even though it's not 100% ideal on the way freedom is being handled here, it's way better. And the economy is great here. The laws are very relaxed. There's no state income tax. Um, and 
it's a little bit more affordable than Los Angeles and we'd be able to do some things that we wouldn't be able to necessarily do in LA. A little um, more affordable. It's probably like half the cost to live there. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's, I'd say it's Austin's maybe, pricey. It's 15 to 20% less expensive than Los yeah. Angeles. Um, in some realms, other realms, it's like the dining out is still like quite a bit less expensive than Los Angeles unless you go to like the very top high-end kinds of restaurants, right. which, you know, but you can go out and have a good time like for the evening for a little less here still and whatnot. Um, th- what it has done is like you were able, like we live on the water here, which is not something that's affordable in Los Angeles, right? So we live right off of the lake downtown. And for me with like my love of endless exercise outside, um, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's like, that's something you couldn't, you couldn't do. When I, when I meant cost of living, I meant like uh, housing, electrical, gas, you know, yeah. not eating out and partying. Cause that's not stuff I do. I'm just saying, yeah. you know, sorry. Housing. So housing, like it's pretty, this is the hottest market in the country right now. So my, my mistake, and of course, if like, so in some ways I was time traveling into the future when I lived here, but I wasn't thinking about cost of housing. Um, uh, I, myself or my father or someone should have bought a house here when I first moved here in 1999, because uh, like, you, you know, you made, you'd have made a million dollars off of it over that period of time, right? Millions of dollars off of it. Um, it. It's almost impossible to find a house here for people who are looking to buy. We're renting. Renting is still fairly reasonable, but it's not anywhere like as affordable as Houston or Dallas. I almost moved to Houston back in like 98. Yeah. I had a job offer down there. I went down there. This I still lived in Chicago at the time, and uh, went down there. I liked the company. It was cool stuff. It was a good job, but it was so hot. It was like July. Oh, I came yeah. back and I talked to my wife. I'm like, "There's no way I can live there. It's just too damn hot." Well, it's so humid there, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Humid. I used to go to raves and he, like the first, like the first round of living in Austin was still when it was like a rave scene, like the, the right. And, and, you know, later for myself, it got into more of these like underground warehouse parties that were like more of their own little tinier subcultures and maybe a little more sophisticated. Right. And that's kind of what I do now, but the rave scene was on like still very big here in like 99, 2000, 2001. And, people would travel all over Texas just to follow the, whatever music they liked, right? So I went to a lot of parties in Houston. And unless the party was in the dead of winter, like it would become so incredibly hot and steamy inside the parties. I would throw away my clothes afterwards because like your pants would get so sticky and sweaty, they would pick up all of like the sludge off the floor, right? Girl. Like, and it would like turn the bottom of your pants into like some sort of like paper mache that had like cigarette butts and hair and mud and who knows whatever the fuck else right like on it you know and, and especially at that time I was a break dancer so my body was all over the floor so it was like you know I would throw away my clothes after the parties but what was really funny you guys not like this so your drugs would melt in your pocket right so like you know you'd have like a bag of something or some pills and it would just look like sticky mess in in the bag afterwards and i remember leaving the lone star arena in houston one time and like trying like we had like a paper clip or like a safety pin or something in the car and trying to like pin it 
to the air conditioning vent with it a little bit open so that it would like dry out the meth so we could chop it up and snort it, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that's what it was like. And you'd come out from parties and like, there would be these enormous dead bugs on your car. And it was just so sticky. You know, you couldn't dry off or cool down, right? Once you got to that level where your whole body was sweaty and sticky and soaking and dirty, like there was nothing to do about it. Like when you, when I would take a shower, like I I didn't want to go home. I wanted to go to a hotel to take a shower. You know what I mean? Just because I didn't want to deal with that mess. I mean, it, it was gross, but the parties in Houston were also really fun at that time. So, you know, trade offs. Cool. <clears throat> so let's get into some woo. Woo woo. All got, right. The peanut gallery is getting upset that we're talking about Texas. So. <laughs> well, everything's bigger gallery. in Texas, including the woo. Including the woo. Yep. All right. So, what would you like me to woo you with? Uh, talk about. I'd like to talk about some of the stuff you've been doing with Michael. All right. And how I. I admit I haven't watched much of it because I'm mm-hmm. super busy, but uh, what's going on there? What's that all about? I know you're doing uh, two different sets of shows with him. One's something about kids, and then you've got like regular other another standing show with him, right? Yeah. Project Kids and... Project Kids, thank you. Yeah. Playing the glass bead game. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, let me talk a little bit about like sort of how I met Michael. Um I obviously like I'd heard his name around in the alternative media before, but never listened to any of his material. Cause just by the way, some of the shows with him were titled that didn't like scratch my typical itch for information. Right. Um, so, well, I had heard his name. I, I didn't even know what he talked about. Right. And um, the, the very first night, like we'd had like a, I started doing this online speakeasy right when the lockdown started to sort of entertain people and just to experiment with something that I had always wanted to do. It just seemed like, okay, I have the time to do it now. And like, I had wanted to see if I could bring certain elements together and make an entertaining evening for people. And maybe one day I'd like to take that out into the real world instead of online. So I started experimenting and I had, I did kind of like an introduction to it. And then the very next week, like we had sort of the first, the first event and um, Steve Mercer, Freeman's producer, um, was like, I think you should invite this guy, Michael Wan. I watched this video today and he was like talking about gymnastics in a way that I think you would resonate with. So maybe you should invite him. I had no idea what Michael talks about. So I went and watched the video. I liked the way he talked about gymnastics. Michael came, we like hit it off, right? We just completely... Uh, I don't even remember 100% what we talked about, but he was very intrigued with my idea that the secret space program was a mind control program, right? That it was something that existed in your head and didn't really wasn't really about space, right? He was intrigued with this. And so we kind of had a few emails about it sort of afterwards. Um, and we started noticing like resonances between us and synchronicities occurring right from the very start. And... Um, so uh, did, did you say secret space program or the space program? Secret space program. Okay. Like, okay. Right. Like, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I think like I had been talking about something like, I don't even remember, like we were talking about something Joseph Farrell and Catherine Austin Fitz had been talking about. And they, Joseph oh. was kind of wondering why like sort of space seemed to have been shut down at the same time the lockdown was happening. And I was like, because. Well, that's people- not true, though. 
I'm just, I was just responding to what he said. Gotcha, gotcha. Right? Like it wasn't none of like that, like who cares what is true and not true. I was just responding to like a thing he had said. And I had said, well, it's like, you know, this belief in space and space travel is powered by people thinking it's true. And people like their minds exploring that idea and belief in it. And like suddenly everybody was locked in their home thinking about only one thing, right? So that sort of depletes the energy for a lot of other made up stories because all of the energy was going into this made up story that you know we've been living with for long the 16 months or whatever right so it was just an offhand remark but like it led to some further conversations and then i had him on the show with randy and i and um and then he and he said to me he was you know about to be going through a particular experience in his life that he felt was going to be interesting and intense and life-changing and that he would like to do a series of shows with me where we talk about these things, right? That he was going through and that kind of thing. And so we started Project Kids. Um, and uh, it, it, we titled it Project Kids because, you know, I obviously have been speaking for a couple of years about my suspicion of my involvement as, in projects as a kid, but it wasn't something he had really considered even though he had all the markers. And through our conversations, it was something he was starting to sort of look at for himself. And he wanted to sort of talk some of that out as he was in this sort of transitional period. And it just sort of took off from there. And we did it. We did like, we still do it once a month, but for a while we were doing it every other week. And uh, we started doing some like group activities around it. Like we experimented with a couple of different things. And then we kind of sort of figured out what really worked. And at the same time that happened, we um launched this sort of a private series and then the series is called playing the glass bead game yes. and it is um it was inspired by a, a, an interaction that michael had with somebody that basically was a nudging trying nudging either to michael or to us but it seems like us because there's been some contact between this person and myself as well to try and get us to pay attention to this book called The Glass Bead Game by Herman Hess. Um, and we realized when we looked a little bit into the book and read some of the background that what we had been doing over the course of several months on Project Kids, which was basically discovering um, the, the synchrony, like the way intelligence agencies use synchronicity, which is a naturally occurring phenomenon of whatever this system is we live in. And um, these, you know, so we were, we were having a lot of stuff with synchronicity and the interconnectedness of all things and this sort of resonance between he and I that like the more we talked about certain things, the more they seemed to show up in our life and there seemed to be like a mirroring and, and whatnot. And it was kind of we were fascinating. So we, we found out about this book, we read into it a little bit and we realized, oh, like what this is, is what we do. So in the book, they have these, young people this book is set in the future there's these young people who are taken are generally sort of very gifted and talented in music and math and things like that right and they're taken away to study and sort of be kind of away from everyone else so they can sort of perfect their art but they bring all sorts of other elements of culture like metaphysics astronomy all kinds of stuff into their study of mathematics and music right they they use 
like touchstones and important points from outside of those disciplines to like incorporate into them, right? And they each do it in their own way. And they sort of like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a practice that they're sort of all doing. And basically what they're doing is synthesizing a culture that has become decadent to the point of being total garbage into something beautiful and meaningful. And we realized that that was kind of what we had been doing. So we decided to start playing the game with intent and to start sharing a lot more of our personal lives in it. We were all already sharing a lot, but like this is, you know, we get, we get into some pretty deep stuff. And so we decided to make the series more private and we put a lot of time into it as well. So there's a, you know, an almost two hour show, sometimes longer than two hours every week. Um, and then there's meetings around, you know, meetups and group chats and, other pieces of media generated around it and it's been growing slowly but steadily and starting to spill over into other people who i know some i don't know most of whom i respect and whatever starting to reference the game in their work starting to play with us even people in my own regular life who like don't have any idea about the things i talk about like the moment I mention anything about the glass bead game to them, they start playing whether they know it or not. They become part of the synchronicities, they start generating them. And it's been basically um, uh, a way to sort of appreciate, honor, respect, and play with the interconnectivity of all life. It's fun. Yeah, it's great. Well, the whole Elisa E thing, or Lisa Lisa E, the, uh, Elisa Lamb thing was part of this, wasn't it? So Elisa Lamb was came up in uh, an episode. It was funny. So Elisa Lamb was is a big part of my game, my glass bead game at this point, and some of the others who are playing it, your game and, and whatnot. Um, but what had happened is there was a story Michael told me in one of the early first or second episodes of the glass bead game that made like for some reason like generated this list of stories that I needed to tell Michael right and on the top of that list was about my experience with Elisa Lamb and at the very end of the episode I said okay we didn't have time for it today but next week we're going to talk about Elisa Lamb and then like the very next day after I had just said we're going to talk about that next week suddenly like Netflix pops out a straight very strange you know, propaganda documentary series about her. And suddenly she's like the hot topic in the alternative media again, right? And so I start to dig back in. Um, and uh, we, I, we started the digging there on an episode of the Glass Bead Game. And then what we found ended up turning into, I don't know, 12 or 14 or 16 hours of various shows with different people for me about the topic. And this sort of discovery of like, a game that may have been afoot there. Um, and uh, the amount of synchronicities and the amount of like parallels and um, ciphers and codes and uh, reflections in the media that this case generated like is astonishing. And it wasn't something I could appreciate back at the time that it happened, although it was intriguing to me then and I dove in then. I didn't know enough to really understand then what I was looking at, though I had a hunch that there was something more to it, like deeply more. Um, and it's kind of like similar to how I didn't understand Austin at the time, right? I knew a little bit more by the time I had my sort of Elisa Lamb uh, thing, you know, in 2013 when this first happened. 
Um, but it's almost terrifying the number of similarities there were between her and myself, right down to like locations and words said at particular times, posts made at particular times. It was very odd. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun deep dive for me as well. And it spurred off lots of stuff as well. And that's part of the glass bead game, how it just... <laughs> has this incredible uh, current to it. Mm -hmm. Have you, did you watch, I'm just having a realization, I'm playing the glass bead game right now. Did you watch the TV series, Mr. Robot? I did, I barely have memory of it though, but I remember, or maybe was it coming up? Did you ask me this at some point? So I don't think so, because I just finished watching it recently. It was just, we just did Conspiracy Cocktail on it like a week or two ago. Oh, okay, right. I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. I only saw one episode. All right, so it's a little different, but anywho, okay, it's, it's close enough that I consider it the same thing. So I had never watched that when it was on, and a few people really were pushing me. You should watch it. You should watch it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really that into the computers and the, that kind of stuff, <laughs> whatever. But when we were here in January, uh, visiting and looking for places to live, we had dinner with my friend RJ, who's a my, you know my techno soulmate, my buddy. He's a great, amazing DJ and producer and whatever. And he's like, you have to watch Mr. Robot. And he's not into all the shit we're into, right? So I was like, all right, I'll watch it. And in my head, I didn't tell him this, but in my head, it was like, all right, I'm going to watch it. And then we're going to do a conspiracy cocktail on it. I'm going to make you play, right? You're going to have to do a set inspired by Mr. Robot. I didn't tell him that until a long time later. <laughs> but I watched it. And the first, by the end, I was like, wow, this is like, this is, and maybe you should go back and watch it because we know more things now to really understand it, right? Like I was like, this is this this is just another example of like the same kind of thing, but the show is actually phenomenal. The actually like the producer or the director of it, whose name I had never heard anywhere else, is Sam Esmail, and so I was just writing it out to see if it was the same cipher as Elisa Lamb. There's one more M in it, but other than that, all the other letters are the same. Oh, right? that's interesting. And the story is kind of similar. Right, like the story is an, is another in a different way than OA is. Right, so like one of I think the most interesting parts about the whole Elisa Lamb thread was the understanding that the second season of OA was basically about this. Right, so there seems to be things in the Mister Robot that are a nod to it as well. And the series actually began a year after um, she died. Right. So I didn't, I hadn't even made that connection until right now as we're talking about it, but I've always been curious about who this Sam Esmail character is, but I haven't looked into it, so maybe I will. But um, check that one out as well. And I think we have to start reimagining, like, you know, like I, what I did is I sort of overlaid the second season of OA onto the Elisa Lamb case and found that like, it was almost a perfect fit. Like I did the shows with you and then I also, did we had a conspiracy cocktail about the OA and I went through the second season particularly I went through episode by episode and gave my analysis and made comparisons and by the end it was like I'm not a hundred percent sure all of what OA was trying to say right like I, there was a lot of questions left at the end of that series right but the question that was not left for me I was a hundred percent sure that that second season was about what happened to Elisa Lamb mm -hmm. right and and 
um, the, the overlay was fascinating. And I think you and I got into that a little bit as well, but I did yes. like a very deep analysis of like all of the episodes at Conspiracy Cocktail. So those aren't recorded though. So <laughs> it kind of, kind of sucks that it wasn't right. So yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> Well, I enjoy, I was, I've only been at the one, which was, you had me as a guest there and that yeah. it, I do like your conspiracy cocktail format. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like I, the, so for me, like I'm into a lot of different stuff. I have a lot of things I'm interested in. Um, and some of them are pretty disparate from the other things, right? Like they're not necessarily similar except to me. Right. Um, and, uh, like there are a few things that I've always felt like, well, these things should go together, but I don't understand why they don't. Mm -hmm. Right. And, or, and you know, like, for me, it's always like, all right. So the conspiracy people, they don't drink good cocktails and most, a lot of them don't like, <laughs> don't like music. I like, but I've, what, what's been interesting is through all the things I've shared about my experiences at parties and then doing conspiracy cocktail, I have found that actually a lot of people in the, like the alternative information crowd did did or do go to parties like electronic music and all that kind of stuff so that's my opinion on that has shifted a little bit and then also some people who were never into it like now they appreciate it from coming to the conspiracy cocktail parties and hearing some really good dance music so i, I wanted to have like i didn't understand why the alternative people didn't like electronic music i couldn't understand why neither the electronic music people or the conspiracy people seem to care about having good cocktails and most of the people <laughs> who like good cocktails are snotty and they don't like conspiracies and they definitely don't like dance music right so i was trying to like force my realities together um and do it in like a speakeasy setting because everything i do is like i like underground everything i don't like the commercial version of anything right so i kind of smashed it all together and it worked you know and um you know, at first we were doing it every week. And then at, when, once it became clear that the lockdown was never going to end, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this every weekend. So then we did it every other week for a while. And now we do it once a month and try and make it a little bigger and more special. And um, I do, I am playing with the idea of trying to move it into real world events here in Austin. So um, yeah, it's fun. I like it. I like fancy cocktails. I like music that goes and I like to talk. So, you know. <laughs> string it all together yeah yeah we've had michael on a couple times and mm -hmm. they've always been great shows he's an interesting guy i really love him he's a kindred spirit for sure totally like it's in like he feels like a brother to me i mean it's odd it's sometimes we even look a little alike you know like people will remark on that and it's weird we seem to have very very similar lives even though we grew up on opposite sides of the country right and like you know we grew up in very similar sort of neighborhood with similar kinds of parents working similar kinds of jobs and had some similar kinds of experiences and whatnot. And you guys um, are probably in the same program. Well, I mean, probably, <laughs> right. Well, what's, what's odd is Michael's never been to where I grew up, but he demonstrates an understanding of the energy, the feel and the geography of that yeah. area yeah. that makes me, and he said, it's like one time he said, you know, it's the weirdest thing, Emily, I had some weird memory of being in a jacuzzi with you when you, we were younger, right? And yeah, I had a jacuzzi in my backyard in Chatsworth, like just a few, like not even a mile from where a lot of the project stuff was going on, mm -hmm. right? Maybe he used some of those teleporters that Andrew Bisagro talks about. <laughs> right, well, <laughs> 
One of the things that's interesting, and you guys both might like this, and you, neither of you probably heard this. So we do a lot of what we call map porn, right? Because Michael loves maps and I've gotten to liking them too from working with him. And one of the things that's incredibly bizarre is the number of small like suburbs and little towns with the same names in the areas we grew up, right? And we've noticed this in other things that we've looked at too, besides just things that are about our own lives. But in fact, like the area that he, I can't remember if it's the area that he grew up or the area that he lives now and the area in Chatsworth where I grew up, I think it was the area he grew up. There are suburbs, like, so if you put like, if you put where I grew up, Chatsworth in the middle and then said that like, um, there was Pasadena was at two o'clock um, Bel Air was at six o'clock and or, sorry, Lancaster was at two o'clock, Pasadena was at four o'clock and Bel Air was over at seven o'clock from, from where Chatsworth was. It was this, those same towns were in the same geometric like proportion, the places around where he grew up. And so, you know, one of the things we've been asking the question of is like, if someplace has the same name or if there's like a situation on the, a situation on a map where places are like in the same geometric proportion to each other in two different places, are those places somehow energetically connected? Is that are there portals between those places? Is that why they have the same names, right? Like, are the, is the map coded in a different way than we think of it, just as showing the distance between places, right? And so this has come up over and over and over in our shows. Um, to the point where like, it's funny, like we can just predict that it's going to be like that. And it was something that we start to look at, right? Um, and I'm noticing it in other ways in my life too. Like for some reason, I always end up living just a few blocks from Haskell Avenue everywhere I go, right? And Haskell Avenue was where like a lot of the stuff started for me. It was where I started gymnastics when I was really young, right? And there's a Haskell Avenue, this exact same distance from the house I'm in now to, that there was to the house I was just, just left in Los Angeles. Right? Like, so like, what are these things about? And Haskell's not that common of a name for a street. It's not like Maine or Elm or First, right? So like we started to notice a lot of this like weird kind of stuff, but you know, we have a resonance and I guess like in our astrology, cause he has his own unique take on astrology. Like there's that whatever, like our, we're supposed to produce a piece of work together in life. Like our life, like the, like the meaning of our life's work is the same. Like we're supposed to do that together or something like that. Right. And, and it seems like that, like, it's just, um, it's been one of the most interesting and rewarding experiences of my life working with him. And I, I look forward to like all the, all the shows we do and all the experiences we have, we're going to try and take uh, an event live this year as well. Um, but you know, and we're going to, we're going to start doing some pro like people will be able to book, like, I think glass bead sessions with us and things like that. Like, we love it. It's fun. So, um, that was like an amazing, an amazing stroke of luck, or maybe it was destined or, or whatever, right? Maybe we've known each other for a really long time and forgot or whatever it is, but he's definitely a brother from another mother or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there are there's a lot of similarities between our parents too we also like he and I were both two weeks late you know like when we were born um and similar things going on you know I was two parents. weeks late too <laughs> yeah Laura was too um, it's weird how many right so um but yeah no it, it's been um it made the 
last year a lot more entertaining than it would have been otherwise probably um and it's just fun like we just we have a lot of fun and i actually feel like we're uncovering um a lot of things about the way reality works that um, had been glossed over in the way um, conspiracy and alternative information has typically been examined. Um, and I think this more sort of playful and connective synchronistic technique of looking at what is going on around you is actually going to prove to be uh, more fruitful in terms of getting us somewhere than just knowing everything has. Did I see, so sorry for that. Um, so you have, you're not, Project Kids is once a month technically right now. Right. And then the glass bead game is that once a month or is that every two weeks? What's That's every on? week. So basically what happens is we continue doing the Project Kids cause like that was a public series, right? So the Project Kids has like an hour, an hour and 15 minutes that we put out to everyone. And then there's a, a patron section that is for like all the patrons. And then we started this Project Kids group kind of thing, right? And that's like a, a group where people like there, you can come, you can hang out. We have these conversations and chat. Sometimes we make recordings and generate other material and, um, like that sort of group, what was going on and the things we were learning from doing that. And, and, and then this introduction of this Herman Hess book, The Glass Bead Game, sort of generated a thing where it was like, okay, this is going to be like, a, it's a game, but it's also a practice. It's something we work on. It's something we do once a week together, except for the week we do Project Kids. So there's three Project, three Glass Bead Games a month and one Project Kids a month. Right. And the okay, yeah. game is just, it's private. It's, the, it's entirely, uh, it's entirely like just for people who subscribe to, you know, the glass bead game, like there's a couple different ways to do it and whatnot, but you know, like it, it's something we do when we're recording the show, but we also have a lot of contact outside of the shows. It's something that it's a game. He and I are constantly playing with each other by ourselves with the other people in our lives. They're starting to like the bleed over and synchronicities from like, the level like the type the media like that whatever the media is or the the platform or the level of reality into the next one into the next one that should seem like it's not connected or have anything to do with each other the, the synchronicities and the connections just roll over and things that are happening to me are happening to him at the exact same time where he is in his life with people i don't know and whatnot he can tell me a story that has some strange element to it right like a few weeks ago he went to um went on this like forest walk with Razben and a mutual friend is uh, someone that Je Jesse and I both know someone else that Jesse and I both know right who I've had on my show um and they they took this tour and they ended up at this house that's in the middle of the forest like it's a like mm, some kind of temple um for the church or the the temple of I am which is like the Saint Germain thing right and this figures like highly into the work that Roz Ben does, right? And I think it was something that even came up in a very early episode of Project Kids with Michael and I. But the, the mutual friend Michael and I have who was with them the next day sent me a long text explaining to me how this really strange experience they had and some video clips that they had taken with Roz Ben, right? Literally and telling me about this temple of I am and St. Germain, right? What was weird about it is this person was telling me this while I was on the way to lunch with somebody, right? With some people. And I parked the car 
and I got out of the car and started walking towards the restaurant and parked right in front of the restaurant was a huge truck with the letters I am like, like I am like <laughs> I am on it. Right. And the person we were having lunch with is a follower of St. Germain. Oh man. <laughs> right. Who doesn't know anything about who this person is or Rosben or any of that kind of shit. Right. And it's, it's like, but it's like that all day, every day. Now, everything just bleeds over into the next thing, to the next thing, into the next thing. Right. So, you know, and it, it, it's, it's cool. It's fun. Like it's more fun to pay attention to that shit than to like watch the news and pay attention to the thing that they're trying to force us to pay attention to. Like, I'm more interested in like paying attention to these weird synchronicities. Right. Like one of the things we've uncovered is that like synchronicity is a naturally occurring phenomenon that has become a technique used by intelligence agencies, namely Tavistock, right? And when you start to look into the way <clears throat> events are produced, because they're produced, right? And uh, some of these like things that seem to have no like good explanation or solution to them, it's because they've, you know, of these sort of, um, mixing in of synthetically created synchronicity with naturally occurring ones in certain locations and when you have certain um elements present right like certain things tend to happen like you know this you do you're into like elements of magic right when you have certain you know to do certain things you need to have metal and water and salt and this and that right like there always has to be certain constant presence of certain things for a certain thing to occur and for some other action it's some other group of things right um, so you start to notice some of this stuff, but like, yeah, like intelligence agencies were really, um, interesting. You probably know this from Carl, from like Carl Jung, like he oh, yeah. gave his speech on the synchronicity related to like the thing in the house and the scarab and all that kind of stuff to Tavistock. Like he gave that speech to them and then they went and used this, all the stuff that they learned from him and Wolfgang Pauli and, and some of these others, right? in the development of their projects and programs. There's a book that is really good called Synchronicity by um, F. David Pete that sort of goes through all of this yeah. and explains how they work, right? How they work in nature and how they're recreated, right? And it's fascinating. I remember first getting into or involved in what would later be known to me in my life as synchronicity but at this point it wasn't it was just watching how at that time coincidence was lining up and uh, -huh. uh one of the things that always struck me was that i what in my classical uh magical upbringing so like in, in learning the basics from some of the classics is kind of how i want to put that and one of the things I saw was like reading works by Mesmer and all this. I started to in Hash, of course, mm -hmm. especially in Stepping Wolf, which is the greatest book on the planet, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But um, it is, it became very clear to me early on, especially when I was dipping my toe into things like John Dee's and uh, some of the Solomonic stuff, some of the Enochian stuff back there in that period that synchronicity was highly in use and having been um, part of the, in those days, the sciences and uh -huh. that, that the, that real people were using, not real people, but important people as far as 
their concern, but important people that are part of the construct we are now still living in. Mm -hmm. uh, we're forming everything around these currents. And to me, synchronicities on a spiritual level are like ley lines, spiritual yep. ley lines. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this in the Project Kids group earlier today about like, you know, it's fun to like look at all these synchronicities, right? We figured out that we're able to generate them, right? We're figured like we're figured out that we're able to get the sort of system to play back with us, right? We figured out that like we can endlessly create like loops back to certain ideas, right? But now what it's like, okay, some of them are just silly, meaningless coincidences, right? Others are these very synthetically created things, right? Like the, you know, especially a lot of the loops we get into when they involve the technology, right? And the internet and our devices and, and things like that, right? And then there's ones that happen across like all those mediums. And then there's some that are like, you know, like they're ordered in my head in terms of like how important they are, right? Some are just silly, some are fun, some are like weird and fascinating, others are deeply meaning and meaningful and personal, but there's some of them that are so deep, they take all of those boxes, right? And you kind of feel like that sort of, wow, that is fucking bizarre on every cell of your body, right? And that's kind of... Um, I think now it's trying to really parse out the difference between the various levels and types of synchronicities to better understand like which ones are um, natural, which ones are sort of synthetic, and then like the, the depth of the meaningful, how meaningful it is, the layers, right? And, and when you talk about them like ley lines, this point where everything comes together, right? I think synchronicity probably occurs in its most glorious way most often at some of these types of points right yes. but then they've also figured out how to create the overlay right that sort of like almost like laying a technology that generates like a bunch of those around that spot right to try and distract you from the deeper one by like letting you be more carried away with like the glamour magic one right the sparkly one that is like oh look at that right <laughs> <laughs> like meanwhile like the reality is completely shifting below your feet and like uh you know some sort of like opening to another layer of reality is happening that you're missing because you're looking at the shiny thing that looks just like the other thing you saw a minute ago yes mm -hmm. there's it's a big you know this has all been a lot of this has been so mapped out and then forgotten and so for people like us picking this stuff up again and looking at these different components that create these spiritual ley lines that create these in the physical uh, material world synchronicities uh, are it's like we're reamalgamating something that was always there and something very old it's like bringing the mummy back to life totally Right. Like that's, I mean, that's one of the things I'm discovering being here is I, I think some of the stuff around this, uh, like there's like literally the city is around the river here and it's almost like an altar on it. Right. And we see all this new shiny stuff, but I'm finding stuff that I'm like, man, this could have been here for a really long time. Right. Yes. And it's just sort of being reactivated based on people paying attention to it yes. now or the way it's interacting with these newer forms of like 
like uh, spiritual technology, but also like, I think there's something going on with the way structures are being built now that is like literally reactivating or rekeying certain things. Um, and let me ask you something because you're, you've been much more like dedicated and disciplined in your studies and practice of magic than I've ever been. Like for me, it's been more like something that just happens. Oh my God, wow, that was amazing, right? <laughs> like I seem to have a knack for it sometimes, but it's not always something that I'm doing with conscious intention. Although I think some of the skills were sort of trained into me. So yeah. the level of intention there somewhere, but it's not at the front part of my mind when it happens. And so it's sometimes, surprising and that probably also makes it fun in some ways that if you work too hard at it it's not right but yeah um how much does angle and perspective come into it i talk about this a lot and it's definitely um well and it's even making my series with gary wayne like the angle the angel all this angles of consciousness are a huge deal <clears throat> pardon me and looking at and looking back and at some very ancient texts, some mm -hmm. cuneiforms, uh, stuff that remains from quote unquote the ancient world. Hold on, I had to, I had to belch. I have, I'm having, I'm having <laughs> a ginger beer. I want to throw out there too that most of the major angels have their own degree. And then, uh, if you, if you take a 360 degree circle, like Michael is a north, right? So that would be zero degrees. And when you're doing work with angels, you're supposed to face a certain direction. I'm pretty sure that correlates to a degree on a compass. Okay. Well, so the think, degree system is definitely, and that overlays onto a lot of the invisible yes. college stuff. Yep, so, yep, 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 yep. Yep. so angle, angel, same difference to me. Right. Especially well, on the flat earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that's the, I can't, I think I, I forgot what the question was. I'm well, sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, I derailed you. It's all right, Jerry, those were good points though. They, they were good points, Jerry, and that's your job, right? That's what you're here for. But I also, wear many hats. <laughs> that is that is those are truly um that's a major component for sure the degrees okay so mike one of the things i'm noticing living here and it's not that i've never noticed it anywhere before but i something something is different in me now right like through, like like i just i have an ability to look at things from different perspectives, whether it be information or anything with more neutrally, right? Without thinking I already know something or don't know it, or this is good or bad or right or wrong. And that seems to have translated even into the way I perceive like landscapes and cityscapes and things like that, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm playing with a lot of ideas in my mind right now, but one of the things we've all been introduced to over the course of the last year, whether we wanted to or not, they existed before that, but like, you know, just as an aside, is this use of QR codes and the way our phone scans them and picks them up and then unlocks a file. Yeah. Right. And I look at the city from various angles and from various perspectives. And sometimes it reminds me of the QR codes 
one of the things I've been curious as to Austin looks very much different than it did years ago, right? Mm -hmm. the, the downtown is so built up. There are so many more buildings and whatnot. And there's some very interesting, weird buildings here. But I cannot find any photographs of Austin from high enough up for me to see what the city looks like from top down. The only overhead shots I can get of downtown Austin is just so you can see Black Lives Matter written on the street during a protest once. I can't see <laughs> like the layouts of the building from like far up, right? The buildings from far up. And like I've begun to wonder if like some of these buildings are technology themselves that are holding certain information. And if you are a person that are aware of how this works, you can either have an app on your phone or maybe you're just trained to do it naturally. You can pick up information like from the various angles and perspectives that you view the city from, like, like a phone picks up information from a QR code. Yes. And I see here on the river, there's certain lookout points that seem to be marked for something that aren't spectacular. It's not like, oh, you'd go and look here because there's a beautiful panoramic view that's different than the one five feet from here, right? But there seems to be a lot of like markers in like certain kinds around the lake that like when I go and look at them, I'm like, oh, wow, the city looks completely different from this angle than even if I just move five feet to the other direction. Right. And so like I wonder sometimes if some of these these uh, things that we think about as like dimensions and and like uh, other realities or timelines or whatever are sort of hidden in plain sight and you can see them if you understand the angle to observe them from and then you can enter them. Mm. Yes. And some of these built like buildings are very unusual. There are some really unusually shaped and designed buildings here. They obviously look like technological components, some of them, but some of them, the way that they reflect off of each other and the way that they reflect in the water, right? Like there's something going on there too. Like we've all heard about how oftentimes Capitol buildings have a body of water in front of them, right? So they can reflect. It seems to be that like all of these buildings want to cluster around the same little fucking area in downtown Austin because they're all trying to get their reflection off the same point or something like mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. And there's even like this weird, so there's this, I don't want to go too much into this. Like I'm going to talk about it in a show in a couple of weeks with somebody, but there's a Google building down here, right? And it has a big Google G, like the rainbow colored G on it, right? But yeah. you can see its reflection in another part of the building. So you see the G in like color and you see the G in black, right? And if you look into like the work of like someone like Ibrahim Karim and by some of his biogeometry and the radiesthesia and stuff like that. And he talks about how the way light hits something and then it reflects on a surface on the other side. And there are certain like colors that can reflect into it. And that's where the doorways to other dimensions are. Hmm. Right. And when I see this building and the way it is, and, and, and from some angles, you look at it, you can only see the G one way and others, you can see both. And some, you just only see the reflection and not, and then there's the reflection in the water as well. Right. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time looking into the FPV angel material. Yes. Yeah. Which is fascinating and deals with angles and angels as well. And different perceptions of them. 
But yes. one of the most important things that I learned from them, I learned a lot of important things from them, um, is that these particle accelerators in the ground, what they're doing is reflected to us in the sky. We see the functions in the heavens above, but those reflections are a technology as well, right? And that interacts with other things that are both real in the sky or just reflections in the sky. So the particle accelerator itself is some kind of ancient technology. And then the reflection it creates in the sky is also able to interact with other things and make things happen. Right. And so I'm wondering about the same type of thing with this, right? Like when you have all of these things sort of reflecting off of each other and the reflections almost interfacing with each other, like what, what else is, like what else is going on? I mean, this, it could be nonsense, but like, it keeps popping to my mind when I'm looking at things, right? So like it, things look so very different and feel so very different. If you just change the angle, you look at them. It's yes. like a whole other world opens up. Yeah. I, I think that that's a necessity in growth and <clears throat> circumambulating the compass of reality and observing what perceived reality is from different angles, different degrees, mm -hmm. different, and, and we can plug in the emotional field here as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, also when we're looking at all of this, everything you've just brought to the table, it's hard to not think about augmented reality and the way oh, that's really. really become part of this experience. And we were way woo woo in the back you know, in the past talking about it. And now it's like, everyone's, you know, this is cool, you know, Dio's touring and, you know, like everything. It's like, uh, it's got an overlay here to the point of when we start stripping away all these layers, where are we? What are we? How are we? Because we've gotten so deep into this fractalized experience. Completely. Like, I, I'm having a lot of questions about like, are like, I mean, we all toss around that we live in a simulation thing. Like it's, you know, like we, we toss it like around. Like it's here. nothing. Yeah. It's like right. popcorn. <laughs> but this is like, this, right. We toss it around. Yes. Yeah, like we're just like, yeah. But like, I have moments where I am questioning like whether I am a character on somebody's phone screen in a screen in a game they're playing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, you know, like, and I'm starting to notice things in the thing that we mostly in our lives have recognized as like nature or real reality that is like, wait a second, there's a digital or virtual interface to this in some way going on, right? And it's like, okay, have they slipped? Like, did we one night during the lockdown slip into some virtual reality container, right? Or has it have we been in it for a lot longer than we thought? And just my perceptions have now sharpened to the point that I'm aware of it. Like I'm waking up in the game, right? I'm not waking up just to the game, but I'm waking up and realizing that I'm, I'm, I'm in it and I'm playing, yes. I'm a character in it. And so trying to be like avoiding it and being like, I don't want to play. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not the way to deal with this, right? So- Well, and it's, and we have to factor in the idea of so when we wake up, we're coming into that zero point consciousness, wake up, okay, all of a sudden, you know, press play. This is Nish's game now or Emily's or Jerry's. And so consciousness is the spark, the illumination in which we lighten the room we're in. Mm -hmm. 
and start to engage in the process of being whatever it is we are. And then we start looking into the layers that are building this up of which we've all just been talking about. And I've been pondering through my meanders and meditations and just what I do, thinking about ley lines have been a big thing for me. Again, this is all coming back again in these new terms that we're speaking yeah. of right now. And we think about ley lines as rivers of current. There's an electricity to them. I think about the planet, whatever shape it is, with rivers of water, water being conscious, right? Water mm -hmm. being a form of consciousness, not only an element, water possibly housing everything that is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and of course, we are part of that. And then I'm thinking about, and I've long been thinking about anything outside of me is outer space. And then the whole <laughs> etheric, uh, the the field etherics right with the the tesla stuff where it's all shadow outer space is shadow and so we can attribute properties to this kind of um phenomena but at what point what am i and what am i not uh -huh. and how do i control what i am without being manipulated by that which i'm not and which i'm not are these properties that seem to have a lot of power over not just the i am that is nish or that is emily that is jerry it seems to be conscious in and of itself whatever it is did you follow me there a hundred percent. Yeah. These are usually do M this way. These are the same. So like my meanders, first of all, I love that you use the word meanders. Um, and are you familiar with the artist named Gabriel Kellerman? Uh, not off the top of my head. I did a show about him recently, but forget my show. Just go check out his stuff. Like all of his work is fascinating, but he does. Wait, what period is he? He's current. Okay. He's yes. current. He's okay. a, yeah, he he like he's an artist and kind of like a scientist, um, but he draws like projective geometry vortices and what he calls meanders, right? And like it's fascinating. To, like he like he, he like will come up with like a structure that we basically understand is simple, and then he kind of follows it to it, the sort of its next logical state, next logical state, and he calls these things meanders. Right, like what he does, his work is phenomenal. It's like you look at this and you're like, oh my god, like this person is brilliant. Where did he learn this shit? And you realize like this is a person can only be born with this shit. They can't learn this stuff, right? What's what's his name? Gabriel. Keller? Gabriel Kellerman, K E L E M A N. He's Romanian. Got it. Um, but yeah, so I did a show with the Crimmies on him. I took a, like he was uh, one of the presenters at a course I took from the like on biogeometry and stuff like that last summer. Um, but he draws meanders, right? And I think you would love them. So you should check it out. But I liked the way you classified sort of your wandering off and you're looking into things as meanders. And in some ways, like, you know, this has been really cool for me being here. Like some days I go out and I hard exercise out there, but other days I just meander around, right? And I just spend a lot of time inspecting a lot yes. of things and, noticing the placement of things noticing some days the things seem to have moved other times they seem to be back in the place where I, they seem to be before like i'm looking at things in relation to other things 
and you know like double triple meaning i'm looking at all kinds of stuff and meanders is there's something when you become like when you take away the focus of like i'm trying to run eight miles or like you know like whatever i'm going to this place and just sort of meander and follow whatever catches your eye right and then the next thing that catches it and the next thing where like a whole hidden layer of reality and information seems to start unfolding um and it can be really cool it also can be really terrifying like i've had a few like oh my god chilling moments right like where it's just like what the fuck is this place right but some of this has made me think about like where like groups that we think of as like secret societies or something right where they change yeah. what they're building right and then they don't only have like their building in each town sometimes they have multiple buildings but they also have like their little like courtyard of the park at this park that they sponsor and their little like section of the trail that they clean out that they are responsible for and have their little bench and their little statue at right and they're this little plaque on the wall at this place and stuff like that right and i've been really paying attention to what do i observe when i stand at the mm, kinds of yes places. not just the, like it made me start thinking about the secret societies but like here on the river right like there's certain areas that like you know seem to have a lot of pomp and circumstance about them and then others that seem to be almost paid no attention to but if you wander over there's something very strange there that looks like some sort of important marker for something right and then sort of observing the reality from that angle and this is kind of where i've had these moments of like i am in something that i i don't completely understand i definitely understand it more now than i used to and it's interacting with me there is an interface yes right? this is important Right, like there is, and, and so it's like what you were talking about, about the part that's you and not you, and the part that's not you getting you to do stuff and da, 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 whatever. Like there's moments where it's like, well, wait a second. I think everything might be me, right? Like, yes. <laughs> like, and, and I don't mean that in that I'm the center of the world. What I mean is like, to what extent is our mind projecting so much of this, right? And we don't understand time, how much of our consciousness sits outside of time and is like, it's kind of like when you have a, um, a satellite up in the sky and then the whatever base down on the ground and the two things are in constant communication, right? And, and one of them is in an area that is less affected by gravity, but let's just pretend that's time, right? Let's say that like whatever you have out there in the thing we call space, or like you said, anything that we think of as other than me or far away from me, right? The thing outside out there of me. is some either outside of time or like at a point, some place where the time is different or slower or, or, or whatever, right? But it's in constant communication with signaling back and forth to me, like the part of me that is here that is, um, you know, either controlled by time or generating time i'm not sure which one it is right so it's like you have this line of communication between two parts of maybe two two different aspects or parts of something that theoretically is the same but are existing in realities that are controlled by entirely different sets of circumstances 
and there's this nonstop communication. Like I'm having that conversation with whatever, whatever the, that is, whether it's me, a part of me, the whole me, the bigger me, something not me, but pretending to be me I, or whatever, right? Like the constant, the conversation is constant, right? Like I'm never not back and forthing with that. It's like yeah. fucking calm. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, and is that like, is that the fucking big brother, like surveillance kind of thing, tracking me, monitoring me, panopticon all the time? Or is that just me observing myself always? And we've been somehow like, you know, not that there aren't people out there doing surveillance and all that other bullshit or whatever, but that phenomenon is part of nature and these other things are just tacked onto it. And we think they're it, but they're not it. Yes. Right? Yes. And this all-seeing eye that we always see places, right? We take that as like big brother. But the more esoteric meaning is just that you're always watching yourself. Everywhere you go, there you are. Well, it's also known as the eye of providence. And who doesn't love a little providence? Right? (laughs) Providence is a fucking fabulous restaurant in Los Angeles. (laughs) So... Before you go, I'd love to talk about space some more. Uh, Secret Space Program, the space program, NASA. All right. Your thoughts on that. Um, I agree that I think the Secret Space Program is a a virtual program. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I think space is also the public facing version of that. Mm hmm. I mean, that's the perception of it that makes sense. I mean, you know, my things on on space, like, I don't know, like, it's, I I don't. Yeah, and I I just want to say for the record, I don't know either. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I have no idea. It could be real. It could be fake. It could be real now because we've manifested it. Who knows? Or it could be, right? Like, all, and just to that, to the conversation that Nish and I were just having about, like, is it me? Right. Like how much of this are we creating with our belief in something, either whether you believe it is or you believe it isn't like how much effect is that having on on your overall perception of reality, but also like the collective in general. But this is what I will say about space. Um, It's completely like whatever they have told us, whether it is the mainstream narrative, the Alter, the sub the sub mainstream narrative the alternative narrative the sub alternative narrative like they're all like you know like control systems of a certain level like this is a biggie for them right like it is the human tendency to look out and away from themselves instead of into themselves right and and, and you know we are very taken with the idea of space travel but there isn't as much uh, energy or information put into like like understanding the ground we stand on right we don't hear about that so much in the news unless they say they uncovered some mummies in Egypt or something right but um you know <laughs> I'm gonna you know we started this whole thing with Jerry make something up and we'll see if it comes true right so like many years ago based on my own like memories and the fact that I sometimes like to say wackadoodle shit, my experience and my conversation both on air and privately with Andrew Bashago um, and in my own set of experiences, I like said, I, I think space is underground in Chatsworth, right? Secret space program is in the ground in Chatsworth. Yep, or in the was, water. 
right? I was joking, like I was, but I was serious too. It was like tongue in cheek, but not really, right? And so much later, you know, uh, so I kind of left it alone. Like I would have some, you know, conversations with people here and there about it. We'd talk about the secret space program being a mind control program and underground really being in underground bases and stuff and whatnot. But then, you know, a couple of years ago, I did a remote viewing session up in Chatsworth and I saw particle accelerator in the ground and I saw like weird stuff down there. And then, you know, two days after that, that whole area broke out in fires that are known as the Woolsey fires, right? And then uh, come a little bit later, I discover this FPV angel and the angel particle matrix research and their discussion on particle accelerators. And, um, you know, I really started to dig in in a different way. Like, I really think that what people think of as space travel really has to do with particle acceleration, which, you know, and these, these, technologies that seem to be part of the earth. But what I ended up finding, like Jeff and I went back and we hiked back into the hills in Chatsworth and we're sitting there on a rock looking at stuff, trying to figure out what is going on back there with Rocketdyne and Boeing and whatever. And we had one bar of reception, but we started doing research and started like tossing phrases and terms together and dug and dug and dug. And I found this PDF about Burrow Flats. And Burrow Flats is basically the Indian cave. There's a cave there with some very old cave paintings in them. And it's in the area that is now off limits to anybody who doesn't work for Rockadine, right? And Rockadine has always had a facility back there in Chatsworth that they always said they were testing rockets at, just like, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk say they're doing and whatever. And there was you know, you're, there was supposedly nuclear the radiation spills and all that same kind of shit that they tell people to stay away. But you can't go back and look at these Indian cave paintings unless you are taken on a tour back there by people at Rockadine, right? Or, or by whoever is guarding that area now. But we were able to look at the um, pictures of the cave paintings and they look like particle accelerators. And um, these are thousands of years old. And so I'm pretty sure that Rockadine didn't have their facility there thousands of years ago. And that the things that they say that they build are actually things they've just discovered and are trying to figure out how they work. Um, but what's interesting is there's papers that nobody seems to have paid any attention to where, where like astronomy professors and archaeological professors are talking about how important this cave in Chatsworth is to the history of space travel, both for America and the world, right? And like, I don't think rockets are taken off from Chatsworth. Like I lived there for a long time, but I do think that there is um, hyperspace travel that happens, you know, through some of the technologies and some of the experiences associated with particle accelerators. Particle accelerators are really weird when you start to dig into them and all the things that they can do. And, you know, we don't know what they're trying to overlay on top of that or whatnot. But I think the thing that people refer to as space travel is some kind of experience in underground bases with particle accelerators. I'll say that specifically for people who think that they've been in secret space programs, right? I can't I don't know, I can't understand what the people who say they're astronauts for NASA, like, I don't know what's going on with all that kind of stuff. Um, but 
I know the experiences that I had and they fit. I didn't ever really think I, I didn't have, I never thought I was going to space, but I had all these same similar sounding experiences to people who think that they went to space. And I think I was like in some kind of machine or box that was intended to make me think I was going to space, but was like more like doing acid in a float tank, right. Or something like that. And having a lot of energy run through me. Yes. Um, so I think there's a lot of experiments that take place around these installations where there are particle accelerators. And I say installations because I think they've built other things around them. I think they've tried to replicate them, but I think there are some that have been there for many, a long, long, long time that they're trying to understand how they work. They're trying to understand what turns them on and what turns them off and like where all this energy is going and they're using kids in experiments that they conduct around them because kids, certain kinds of kids, not all kids, and I'm not saying the ones- Certain bloodlines. Certain bloodlines or certain genetic makeup yep. or certain yep. kinds of eyes per se, because yeah. if you actually look at a particle accelerator, it really looks like a centrohalochromia eye. Yes. And, uh, every bit of research that I look into, whether it's like deep, supposedly factual research or whether I'm like pulling things from the things that they say are entertainment, it always leads me back to strange colored eyes. Yes. There's some <laughs> connection between these things and they actually look exactly alike. And one of the things I'm a big subscriber and believer in is the doctrine of signatures, right? Things look alike for a reason, right? You know, I'm not talking about when something is a copy or a clone of something, right? But if something looks the same, it tends to work in a similar fashion. Yes. Right? And our bodies, our spinal cords are like, very similar to linear particle accelerators, right? And there are, I think there are people that are particle accelerators and these people are travelers, right? Or as OA would call them, they're angels, right? And angel and FPV angel and APM team would say that angels are particle accelerators. They didn't, there's, you know, but I think people can be that too. They're smaller versions and whatnot. And these are entities of beings, machines, people, whatever, that just have a tremendous amount of energy. Like some of us have had to deal with that our whole life and it causes problems for us. We're annoying, we're hyper, we get sent to the corner, right? Or whatever. But there's also something about the amount of energy we can run through our body that like takes us places that are right here yet real far away, right? And I think those are, I think to... I don't know what they're doing. Like, I'm less inclined to like accuse them of all this evil stuff now than I was before. I think they just are trying to fucking figure shit out like everybody else. And like when you're curious, sometimes you do shit you shouldn't do to try and figure stuff out. And then you're covering your ass and then you're learning what you, you know, using what you learned to manipulate or to get a step ahead of everybody else. So you'll have time to figure out more before somebody else does and all this kind of shit. Right. <clears throat> but um, I think that like, you know, deeply, I think reality is created with our minds. And so the desire to understand how a person who has a lot of energy and is therefore like energy creation is like what secret mystical schools have been about forever. Like that's what Tantra yoga and lots of different kinds of spirituality and practices are about in some people and some places like just have more of that naturally, right? And it doesn't make them like this better. It's just like, that's what their body does. That's what this machine does, right? And for some reason, um, it, it really helps 
a certain segment of society for us to believe that like the magic or the the high technology or the all the other stuff comes from outer space and from people that are not like us right um instead of in the ground and like has always been there and time is different than what we think of it as and the earth itself may be some kind of interesting organic technology and that you know like i just think we don't understand a lot um and um we're taxed for our confusion it, this is all very important and one of the things that i'm reminded of is when i got involved with a very old group that was uh very much into dreaming and collectively dreaming and uh out of obe collective obe experiences mm -hmm. and so a lot of the interactions were uh you know the at the core level you start talking about dreams and then you move on into the next layers which are talking about components of so you talk about your dreams and you talk about components of dreams mm -hmm. then you start talking about abilities that you can unlock or um, uh, untap within mm -hmm. dreaming like uh, lucid dreaming the whole point became awakening within the dream and then eating the dream and feeding the dream etc right and one of the things that always struck me was the ability of those who reached a really adept level uh pardon me i love my ginger beer it's not alcohol it's a gin oh, every time it. i say ginger beer everybody thinks i'm drinking a beer not that i mind drinking a beer anyway i love ginger so, beer do you make oh, your own it's so good i do yes ah, I, I love it i want it and kefir water and all that anyway <laughs> and so uh you you got to this level where you were being tested the whole time until you became fully lucid on command so everyone's going to meet at such and such time and place and it's not really it's a coordinates and not a time time mm -hmm. yep and uh and so you started developing these relationships with other people that have these abilities and then it became and then this is where the fun is it became like lost boys where you're carousing the dreamscape are perousing yeah. the dreamscape and you're the one you can spot the other people that are lucid or you can you can create lucidity within someone when you're interacting there is the way i've always understood it too is there's like personal ethics so this transcends uh sphere of control i.e where we are now so there are just like things that seemed realistic that you could do and should do or should not do and fucking with people is uh, at least according to that group not was not a good thing so but you could in the lost boys paradigm you know you're flying in and you're going into you know they're out there on the on the beach and uh and moving around technically the sleepers right because they're the awake ones the vampires in that movie are the awake ones and the rest are just whom they feed upon and so and then of course whoever is going to be targeted and then brought into that uh 
brotherhood, sisterhood, fraternity, whatever you want to call it. So this is at work and this is at play. And this is something that if you get out of body and you're being very conscious about your traversing this particular paradigm as an awakened dreamer, feeding yourself within the dream, you realize that there are masses of what, you know, doors, cannons, filler people and all this, uh, that there are very few that are actually awake with you. And these are the people I've always said you have to watch because they're the ones that are understanding these subtle layers of control. And yeah. because if everyone else is having dream time, but they're not aware they're dreaming, it's just the natural process taking place. And you have dreamers that are awake and conscious and at that zero point of gravity, uh, a lot of times there's an awakening of the switchboard, your meridian system, uh -huh. uh, and the way you play a chakra system, which is not always just from root to crown, right? Nope. There's these are these are intoning uh, exercises. So you realize that there's a lot of power within the dreamscape. And this is before we start talking about sim reality and for me where the bleed over was happening was well i started to be very confused with what was what seemed like real life and what was this dream life i was having that was very intense and very uh -huh. specific and very real and i was starting to have issues with the bleed over now this is before we hit into the 2000 period and then there were these big cosmic shifts that happened if you remember the harmonic convergence in 2012 and all this stuff you know series of 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 celestial events whatever they are but as we know they are significant when we have eclipses and all that yeah. started to shift the collective. And so now with augmented reality, I personally sometimes am confused with where I think I am. And it doesn't matter where I am, even when I knew I was dreaming and I was being lucid and OBE, I could still hurt myself. There were still laws there. And this is what's always bothered me with people shrugging stuff off is there are still laws of realms of being and you learn this through all the 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 magical studies the invisible college studies the the early sciences in all all the way up into magical works of of um written word like the glass bead game anything herman hesh is putting out to me qualifies um and so here we are now though and I, I honestly feel like somewhere along the way, I personally got lost, like how some things are so crazy at some points where it seems like just like five minutes ago, I just took off earrings five minutes ago, I go back, I've, whatever, I took a shower, I go back and the earrings are gone. Like, okay, right. I'm complete, this is like, nine in the morning and I'm completely awake. And, you know, it, I mean, come on, there's so much weirdness going on in the weirding factor that most people are starting to recognize it. And at what yeah. point do we say with conviction, this isn't real and yet it really is real and trying to 
find a comfortable place within what seems like a paradox, because that's where we start having the energetic fields collapsing and like a causality loop, our consciousness, the I am that I am, the zero point that is you creates a tsunami of awakening. But at this point where we are, where everything's breaking down, it feels like this is the breaking down of a dam that all of a sudden this will be, there's an, this big event that I think everyone feels like is happening that feels to me like a spiritual event event because that's the way I think because I think synchronistically and things are connected through meaning and meaning does for me have a higher power. And so that's where I'm at with all this that you've just said, like what it's even more of what the fuck is going on. All of this stuff we've been talking about for years is deepening now. It's not getting thinner. It's becoming more complex. Totally. So everything you just said, yes, I'm going to try and there was a bunch of stuff there. Uh, I gonna, know. I always do this to you, Em. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to see if I can hold, I, I didn't, I should have written some down, but I'm going to see if I can hold, hold them all. So first of all, when you were describing spotting the others, right? Like, yes, yes. I'm awake in the dream and you look for the others that are awake. That's what I, so when I am out and about, I am looking for other people that are playing the glass bead game. Right. Now, yes. Yes. So everyone plays the game differently. Right. That's what's amazing about this is like, and I love like one of the easiest ways for me to explain to somebody who doesn't really understand about the glass bead game is like, okay, so I like to watch tennis. Right. And there's a lot of tennis players that are good tennis players, but there's something different about Djokovic, Nadal and Federer. They're glass bead game players. Right. They're not just playing tennis. They're infusing all sorts of meaning, cultural history, familial, artistry, like metaphysics, like right there, whatever their personal preferences, everything comes into it, right? They're weaving this tapestry that is much more than just how they're hitting the ball. Plus there's the angles and the geometry and all that shit too, right? Yes. All right, so each of them has completely their own style. They're all playing, they're all playing tennis. Like that's where the, the sleepers are watching the tennis, right? And then, you know, the, those who are of a little higher mind can recognize that each has their own different style. But when you, can, when you are playing the glass bead game and you look at someone else who's playing, I can go out to the river or out around somewhere and I see somebody else who like is doing something like making the space their own. They're like the, whatever experience they're having out there, it's playing into like their their interpretation of reality and the things that they're focusing on and what they're doing and everyone else around it is becoming part of their game as opposed to like you know being just separate disparate people doing their own thing i can tell when somebody is out there is synthesizing this reality into something deeply meaningful that they can sort of condense and expand in in, in ways that like you know, are, are magical, right? To show somebody like a work of art, just even with the way that they take their fucking daily walk on the river, right? Yes. Like they're moving through time in a different way. So first I wanted to say that when you were talking about looking for the others, like that's these days what I'm looking for is when I go into a party, when I go out to, you know, wander on my meanders or whatever, I'm always looking for like the other person who there is, doing what I'm doing, but doing it in their own way, right? They're doing it different than me, but I can, but we're both playing the game. 
right? Yes. For yeah, both, yeah. So it's that kind of thing. Then to what you said about like the bleed overs, like prior to 2000, like I think those, I, I, I've had them before, before and I've had them since then, but I think the really, really crazy ones were in that period, like 1999 and 2000. Yeah, there's something going on right that's there. That's where I got confused and that's where I got lost. Yes, right? <laughs> there's but something for real going on. Around, I've been meandering around multiple realities that that was their junction point, right? Like if you look like we're here on the Zoom and the people can't see it, but like I have this little mandala, right? That is my th sign. And yeah. the dot and the black hole in the middle, of course, there's always the dot and the black hole, right? But then there's all these little things that look like sort of mushroomy things or some kind of little things off of it, right? There's like, I think there's eight of them, right? Or there, yeah, like there's eight, yeah, there's eight of them, I think, or not eight or nine of them, right? Like, let's just say that that time period, right? I'm the dot, the time period is sort of, uh, the black hole is 1999, 2000-ish. And there was all of these realities that were coming together in the place that I was and the person that I was then. And I've been wandering around in all of them because they're all sort of connected, although they're distinctly different, right? They all sort of empty into this black hole with the dot in the middle. And I've been wandering around in all of them and they're all like the same, but different. So there's similarities. And sometimes, you know, when you're in a distinctly different one and some other times you're not so sure. And then there's bleed over between them as you can see some of the colors bleed over into each other, right? You know, from, from, from what we're looking at. Yes. And, and I didn't understand at a certain point that I was dealing with different times, different dimensions, different layers of reality, different places where timelines converge. Like I've been having this experience here where like these memories that like, that I couldn't tell if they were from the dream or like if I was dreaming or if I like had some experience like when I was under mind control or drugged or what was going on or if I was bleeding through for another reality. I'm starting to recognize as I go through and have experiences here right now that some of the memories from back then were of what is happening now. Right. Oh, girl. Yes. So like the question <laughs> then becomes is the thing is the content that I, the content of what I thought was my mind control experiences or or my weird stuff there was it really like memories of time travel to the future, which is now. Right, because what's funny is when I go to this area of town here that was part of the subject of some of this kind of bleeding over dream memory stuff we're talking about. Yeah. All of the signs, symbols, sigils, totems, ideas that were part of the mind control that I, that, that, the, the things that I consider to be part of like my programming, like there's a fucking mural on the wall that has them all there, but that mural wasn't there in 1999. So like, what if I had like some sort of momentary particle acceleration time travel to living here now back then? Mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I walked by this mural that I, that, right, that is now, but, it, you know, but when I went back to then, it's not here. So I didn't know. So like those ideas, those things I saw on that time travel trip were in my mind forever. And somehow they were recorded in some way. And that was that, that set up the next 20 years of my life right but there it's from now it's not from then right like it's you know like i'm not saying that that's the truth of what's happening but i've been starting to really have questions 
about the things that I've always thought of were memories of past events and starting to wonder if they were dips into future events. I am so with this. Yes. And, and then the other thing is you're talking about like your earrings going missing, like the amount of disappearing and reappearing things that have been happening to myself and sometimes in like very dramatic fashion have been like, yeah. I've always had some of that, but it's been very, very intense lately. So I think all of these various realities, and I think, and this is something that Michael and I, and you know, I do a lot of stuff with Jeff too, that we're really going to start focusing on going forward. We have to become very clear about what we're talking about. Like we tend to mishmash time travel, timeline convergence, bleed over, dimensional travel, multiple stack reality. We, we, we kind of all call it all time travel or kind of all like dimension, right? We need to become clear about what we're talking about because they're distinctly different things, right? But they seem to have this junction point in the middle where they all sort of converge and collapse upon themselves, right? And, you know, and I think certain meaningful places and then certain like, like I can go to some place and like all those multiple realities can kind of coalesce and expand or collapse around that place. All the memories of the times I've been there before and I'm there now and was there, is there a future thing gonna happen there? And it kind of like all clusters around and becomes like a mess. And I think yeah. there are some areas that are more prone to this than others. So when we were talking about synchronicities and ley lines and vortices and things like that, right? I think where I am right now is particularly like potent with those kinds of potentialities. And I think that I was experiencing them and didn't know that. And I'm experiencing now and I know that and, I, and I'm knowing it. And then there's the interplay between the then and the now, because this is a place that is, you know, like it's got some time fuckery and some dimensional fuckery and all that kind of stuff going on and it's not necessarily a nefarious thing it just simply is what is and some people know about it and some people don't right yeah and yeah it's all focal point yeah it's all that little dot in the middle there yes right? yes so um what you're talking about though about getting lost somewhere you lost yourself and i recognize that i lost myself and i went on quite a meander and the meanders were spectacular they were fantastic they were terrifying they were very troubling all that kind of stuff but yeah. i'm in the process of finding myself right now like the fractals are reorganizing inside of myself and it doesn't mean i can't send them out on meanders anymore but like i'm starting to um find my center right and, and be able to wander off without getting lost anymore right oh that's fantastic and I'm not there yet, but mm -hmm. like I'm starting to have this recognition. I'm starting to like pull in some of the versions of me that wandered a little far off the grid, right? Check back in with them, see what they've found, correlated with things that the others and right, right. And there is something very true about like the creation of altars, right? And fractals oh, yeah. and things yeah. like that, right? You know, and um you can't send your entire self into every experience. Sometimes you have to send out part of yourself, right? Just like, you know, when a boat is in, is sometimes in trouble, they don't like get the whole boat to try and do the whole maneuver. They'll send a little tugboat out to go and get the thing and then come back and then see what, you know what I mean? Sometimes oh, yeah. you have to send a part of yourself into the future, into the past, into another space, into an experience, you know, and sometimes the parts of yourself get lost. And sometimes they're, I guess it's possible that they can start to find their way back. and. It's, you know, like, I just, well, that's part of the Godhead thing where, 
if you consider yourself the whole and you look at different fractals or the Mandelbrot sequence or any any kind of geometry you want to yeah. put into it and you're looking at specifics you send in this segment or in union you know you send in a piece of your psyche so if you're if that piece needs if there's some place where you need to engage the have the intellect you go through that you've anthropomorphized uh in in a proper like therapy setting and i'm talking about in the in the dream but i'm overlaying this with everything you're saying now but you push forward the i say i am the godhead and emily is an aspect of my wholeness and i need emily here well emily has is here and then she's fractalizing and doing the same thing i'm doing and then yeah. there's this kind yeah. of eternal hall of mirrors that's yep. going on and that's a big deal and it's very hard to find if you're in the hall of mirrors yes. of eternity it's hard to see where the bigger you is when you're looking at all of these pieces of you and yeah. you know what herman hesh brought that up in his book uh siddhartha uh, not siddhartha um steppenwolf again that's an image that uh that somehow i attribute to herman hesh well, think about how disorienting it is when you're like, if you've ever been to one of those places that has like, like paneled mirrors, right? Like, and they're like at an angle. So it's like, you're, you're one of you, but you see like 40 of you reflected around. Yes. yes. At a certain point, it becomes so disorienting that you almost feel for a second, like, where the fuck am I? Who am I? <laughs> I know, right? really. Like, I oh, had, there's I went, my ear. <laughs> I went to, I was in a, I had a gymnastics meet one time in a building that was a circular building and had mirrored panels all around it. And I like landed my backflip on the beam and looked up and was like, what the fuck? Cause there was like 40 of me, like all oh, around in front of me. It was very disorienting, right? <laughs> but to what you were saying, like, you know, it's, um, that endless sort of fractalization i one of my very clear memories from being in the projects in chatsworth right there in you know the area that i always talk about was we had something we used to refer to as the hall of memories mm -hmm. right yes. and i don't know if this was a mental process they put us through or if there was actually a hall that they would walk us through to sort of get you know because sometimes with kids you actually create the physical thing for them to sort of you know right extrapolate right. in their mind so in like each the hallway had like windows you could look into or doors you could open and inside each one was a memory of something that had happened and you could go inside and wander around right inside the memory yes yes i'm sure that there was mostly this was mostly a thing in our minds but there was like maybe the first time they told us how it worked they walked us down a hallway and opened classrooms or whatever right but i have this very distinct memory of like the hall of memories and sometimes i'll see things in movies that are like oh my god that reminds me of the hall of memories there was things in legion that reminded me of that there was things in interstellar that reminded me of that like in a variety in in fringe and whatever right like but that what you're talking about is in each of those mirrors or windows or panels or rooms there is a piece of ourself wandering around inside the variety of memories right and yes core you standing in the corridor like which one is fucking me yes right um 
I wanted to say one more thing before we kind of wrap it up. I wanted to talk about the eyes again for a second, you know, because you and I, since the beginning of our- It's always been the eyes. Yeah. Conversations, right? And, and yeah. you know, like, I think that these marks on our, for those of us who have central heterochromia, where I do see all <laughs> of this stuff, I wonder if the, the little, like, dots in the mark, right? Because there's all this, I mean, you can look further and further into the eye and it's like, what the fuck is the colored part made of, dude? What is all that stuff? I know, it's wild. Weird, like psychedelic looking fibers that look like <laughs> animals and shit like that, right? Like, like it, right? And of course we get these images a lot in some of these movies and TV series and stuff like that, but that's like literally what my eyes look like, right? Yeah. But there's these oh, yeah. little like black specks or little specks that are darker than the rest or whatever, right? And I'm wondering if the marks and when the marks are checked and noticed and, and things like that, if you get one, like, I don't mean it like an award or a reward, but like that's something the body does every time like you break through to a different like dimension or a reality Ooh. that exists at a different frequency. Because yes. think about like, I, my mom had an eye condition where she was having to take drops to help with the pressure in her eyes. Like the eyes, like pressure in your eyes is a big thing, right? Yes, and it's glaucoma. Are, right, she, she had something she was doing though to help with the pressure. I don't know if she, she didn't have glaucoma, she had something else, but she, there was always worries about the pressure and permeability and all this kind of stuff, right? My mom had, my mom spent a lot of years going to the Jules Stein Institute I don't know if you're familiar with this, but if you look at even the logo, right? And that's at UCLA, of course, where all the nonsense goes on for my family, <laughs> whatever, right? But I wonder if every time you've sort of breached another layer or dimension, right? Like it's like any, like you, it's like you, like a, a, a scar, like or a souvenir, or the evidence is on the eye, right? And it, it can become kind of a map, right, for where you've been, and maybe certain realities certain like layers of hyperspace always produce a similar or the same kind of mark or in the same kind of area and so they're able to track who's been where based on the specs in the eye yeah it says sometimes <laughs> sometimes we're going under their command and control and other times we're going on our own so if they sent us there they know we've been there or they sent us somewhere and they think they know where we've been, but maybe we're not always going to the places they think we're going, right? Yes. But then we're also like, I don't know a single person who's been in projects and programs or think they have, right? Or whatever. And I think there's a lot more people than recognize it. I, I don't oh, think, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, right? But we're, we're traveling all the time. Like I have all sorts of weird experiences, right? When I, what, you know, I, we should maybe start checking our eyes after we've had a strange experience to notice if there's, a perceptible difference, even if it's small, right? I, Emily, this is amazing because I do do that. I do check my eyes. <laughs> and one of the things that is, because I'm talking about time travel, I'm on a time travel thing right now and I'm bringing in different people trying to make my case for how I do it. Okay. And, um, but one of the ways in which I, when I get into the zero point that is niche, uh, I have to, because everything becomes so jumbled and layers and facsimiles and all this, I go and I look for a reflective surface and hopefully there's usually a mirror yeah. and I usually wake up here. So I know where the mirror is and uh, actually there are lots of mirrors, but I go and I check my eyes and I get the light on them 
because there's a specific for there's a specific i i don't know how to arrangement pattern uh -huh. that is specific to here to this particular experience i'm having and i and this was started back when i first started doing this exercise and dreaming when i go to sleep and i get lucid i always 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 look for a reflective surface not only to see what character i am and all of those kinds uh -huh. of specifics uh -huh. but to see where and the real key here is what is the mapping that's going on in the eye yeah i mean i think you know one of the things like I, I haven't been that that isn't something that has really occurred to me in terms of like what I just told you about the spe specs represent like either like trips gone or 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 just you know whatever once you've gone to a certain dimension this thing is on your eye whether you go there a million times or just once it doesn't matter that thing is there or whatever whether it's dimension or time periods or location or frequency range or whatever the fuck it is right um, but I've never checked after anomalous experiences and I should start doing that. Um, but one of the things for me is like my eyes change colors, right? And I've even had people sometimes remark on it in the middle of a of what would be like a stressful experience, and it could be a good stressful experience or a bad one, right? Or or not good or bad, but just weird or whatever. Like I've had people say, "Whoa, your eyes just changed," right? Yeah. They yes. Were yes. They go, and now they are bright green. And mine go like gray, green, blue. Sometimes almost hazelish looking. Some yeah. combination thereof, right? Yeah. So, Same like, here. I wonder about that as well. And that's a harder thing to track on yourself because you're not looking at your eyes all the time. But I'm gonna maybe start noticing. I'm gonna maybe start paying a little bit more attention to what my eyes look like when I am having the realization that I'm having some kind of anomalous experience, whether it be dreamscape or what i think of might be dimensional or time travel or whatever yeah whatever whatever it yeah. is yeah, yeah it's it's one of the ways i'm starting to map out the time travel grid of what i'm understanding through through timelines through genealogies yeah. through bloodlines that are also psychic lines which are known as ley lines and all of, all of this stuff as it's now starting to layer upon it, it's everything's kind of layering upon or uh breaking down in a weird way to restructure in the end i think uh but i am desperately tracking all these different moves and modalities and the eyes are definitely again as always as we keep discovering emily at the heart of so much yeah Let's sometime, whether we do it as a recording or just on our own, let's go through and just sort of like clarify the different types and styles of travel, right? What is What are we calling time travel? What are the various methods? What are the various kinds? What is dimensional travel? How is that different? How is that the same? The various ways to do it. What is like timeline splicing or converging? Because these are all like variation. They're all different things, but with certain similarities. And I think it would be interesting to sort of like clarify, and then we can, you're conducting your experiments, I can conduct mine, but then we'll be able to do a better job of comparing notes if we're understanding certain things as one classification of experience versus another. Right, we get the baselines down. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm always for that. And yeah. this whole thing with time traveling that I'm doing specifically right now is working with bloodline and it's uh 
and there are a lot of really easy hits and misses. And this is why for some people that don't have their genealogy, it's, um, I hear you typing, Jerry. Uh, it's for some people who don't have their genealogy. That's how Jerry time travels. He types himself. <laughs> <I know. together. laughs> Someone has to keep an eye on this rowdy chat over here. So, well, I'm just agreeing. Let's, let's, Let's powwow this out, of course. All right. I, I want to throw something out here, too. All so right. I also have black spots on my iris. And I talked to my doctor about it last time I got my eyes looked at. Mm -hmm. And he told me it was an aneurysm. Mm, yeah, I've heard that. Not like what? in your brain, but it's an aneurysm in that tissue. Yeah. Right. But, but it would be like, you know, like. Okay, so what's an aneurysm? Uh, a black spot in your eyes. I don't it's know. A, it's a blood, yeah. It's aneurysm. not a blood thing, it's just... An aneurysm well. is also called, caused by a buildup of pressure. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, but I think the term means something medically different when it's in your eye versus like in your brain. Yeah, I mean, I think I, it probably does, but to, I think you um, maybe just made case that you're a more interesting traveler than you let yourself be, that, you know, that you let us think you are, no, right? I'm not, I am not doubting your theory at all. I'm just giving yeah. you the, the exoteric version of what that is and what I've been right. told. The other interesting thing about it is um, I only have it in my right eye uh -huh. and it prevents my, my pupil from opening as much as my left eye's pupil. Now that's fascinating yeah. because yeah. I think the pupils are really interesting. Like I had my first big discovery on pupil. First, when you're a little like you get your eyes dilated, and that's kind of a wild. It's like your yeah. first psychedelic experience, right? Um, and then the first, like, I had this experience one time. Like I tried K, special K, volunteer. I, I was dosed with special K another time that I just talked about in the show recently. But the first time I tried it, it was voluntary, right? And it was like the weirdest experience. And I couldn't, like, it felt like things were moving close and go f farther away and close and far and depth perception was off. And so like, oh, that's fucking weird, right? So then a few weeks later, I was around people who were doing K, but I wasn't doing it. But I noticed when they were on it, this weird thing was happening in that one of their pupils would get big at the same time the other got small and they would switch, right? So like it, when the right one was big, the left one was small and then the left one would get big and the right one would get small. And that's what was fucking with depth perception. Right. That's interesting. And so you're, <laughs> they've you're become working. unstuck in time. Right. Well, <laughs> think about all the weird stuff going on with like use of K for like certain kinds of therapy right now. And like the way that K has sort of became popular in the rave scene, in certain kinds of club scenes where there's also a level of this kind of stuff mixed in with it. Right. But, um, you know, I think the pupils are like personal black holes, right? And if your yes. black hole yes. is restricted, Jerry, then that explains a lot of things. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's not restricted. I mean, I can have my eyes dilated. I'm saying in, in certain in certain situations, like twilight, for instance, um, my right eye won't open, the pupil won't open as much as the left eye. So I get blurred vision out of my right eye. Very interesting. I'm just fucking with you, Jerry, because it's fun. But think about <laughs> that. Like twilight is a, is a period where some, like there's a certain class of mystical experiences that happen at twilight. Others happen, you know, at certain points, dawn, dusk, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. kind the, of the liminal times. 
if the way that you're perceived, like if your perception is altered during those times, the way you experience some of the mystical happenings may be different than the way we do. They may be more interesting or different or whatever, right? So that is an interesting anomaly. There's also like, you know, I've looked in some, like my friend, Anne, who I was my nutrition mentor, she was also an iridologist. And if there is something to that, but the markings that I'm talking about on people with certain kinds of central heterochromia look very different than people who just have a lot of stuff going on in their eyes based on health issues. And that's some, like what iridology sometimes can look at as well, right? So yeah, yeah. the eyes are interesting. The eyes are like very, very, um, I think they might be our most unique like organ or body part or something. <laughs> yeah, they're, I think they're one of the, the keys to understanding and unlocking so much more. And as you know, when I got, when I was set loose, the eye thing was a big deal with, and I've told these stories on your show, um, but being pulled aside and having my eyes looked at and all that was always so uh, provocative. You know, the memories are provocative too, yeah. but the whole idea of it, that there's something else going on here. And we know there is, and we understand the idea of how light dances and works and what it uh -huh. is. And, well, we think we do. And we understand the blackness of the brain and the optic nerve and the back of the brain where all that is upside mm -hmm. down and like a stamp size image of this 3D uh, terrain in which we're finding ourselves uh, well, stomping around in. We don't during. really know what the brain is receiving through the eyes. Well, this is, it. well, one of the things I loved in one of my neuroscience classes was the idea of if you can see it, it's touching you. It's like the idea of light through the optic nerve, how it's actually penetrating your optic nerve. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, I found that always such profound, um, I found it profound and provocative, the idea that what I'm visualizing is actually touching me, it's inside of me. And that, you know, that was one of my ideas of anything outside of me is outer space. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, yeah, there's so much, there's so much juicy here always. Emily, we this has been <laughs> amazing. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. I just want to show you one last thing and then we're going to hop off. But what you just said about at the base of your brain, there being a stamp size image of the 3D reality you find yourself in, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I'm just going to refer you. Oh, can you, can I get screen share for just a second? Yes, of Here. course. All right. I'm just going to refer you um, back to, let's see. Okay. Here I have it. What I said a little while ago about cities look from being like QR codes. Yes. Right. This is a stamp size, like literally, like if you look at this, like you have yes. like three big yeah. buildings and all your little streets and whatever. This is the realization that I'm coming to. And what you just said, I think kind of encapsulated that comparison I was trying to draw between QR codes and a larger like reality of the city. Oh yeah. What a great roundabout. <laughs> Rounding back. Yeah, and I, I pulled up Google Earth before to show you that you could see Austin from above if you just there's a certain I saw what you were doing. Yeah. That's not quite what I'm going for. Okay. There's a certain viewpoint that I want to see the top of downtown from that there doesn't seem to be any available. So I think I'm gonna have to find somebody that has a plane or a helicopter or something. Dr to just a drone. There. A drone will do it. 
Yeah, a drone, I guess. I don't, you think, should, my, I don't think in terms of drones, yeah. Yeah, you should Google uh, or look on YouTube for drone footage of Austin. I'm sure you'll find some. I, 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 I guarantee you will. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Well, thank Thanks you so much. Um, I put your links in description so you don't have to plug anything and we talked about your other shows so thanks everyone for coming tonight and listening i think this was our most viewed show we had over 70 people at some point awesome yeah thank you thank you guys for hanging out and yeah i would yeah. love to with you guys thank you to the people in the chat room i hope you enjoyed it hope yeah. it was uh, entertaining <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not sure who's on next week but i'll get somebody so. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry and Emily and everyone out in chat in the chat. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Have a great, great week.